Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Yes, it is Friday. We made it again this week. We'll take them one at a time. It is the Three Martini Lunch. Grab your stool. Thankfully, it's a virtual bar, so we're not just uh, takeout and delivery. You can join us. We're so thankful for that. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, you lead off the morning jolt with our good martini today, and that's that the states that have not yet seen the peak or the apex, as Governor Cuomo likes to say, are getting ready for the crush that is going to come. However big that ends up being, they're doing everything they can to be prepared for it. As you point out, uh, the state of Florida has about 24,000 beds available, or or about 40%, 37% of ICU beds. Uh, The city of Dallas, Texas, also posting that they have 48% of hospital beds unoccupied, 44% of ICU beds, 69% of ventilators. Uh, Surge capacity now ready to go in New Jersey. They're even setting up a field hospital, courtesy of the Army Corps of Engineers at the Meadowlands. Uh, You talk about how the response in Washington State is looking pretty solid right now, and they've got some capacity there. Maryland, on and on and on it goes. So we don't know how bad it's going to get. And we'll talk about that in the next martini and how long we're going to be going through this. But uh, right now, a lot of these places, some which are dealing with the, uh, the growth in cases like New Jersey and others who are bracing for it are doing the responsible thing. So a couple things to kind of walk through here. The first is, it should be very clear, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, I think the places like New York that are currently at capacity at a bunch of hospitals and feeling overwhelmed, it's not going to be... Um, easy days ahead for them, although I think it is kind of interesting to see the announcement that they're currently con- city is contracted with 20 hotels to use their rooms for um, people who don't need ICU beds or really intense one, but basically to turn them into um, kind of extensions of hospitals for people who are not requiring ventilators, who are basically, you know, suffering from the coronavirus, probably need to be, you know, checked on every now and then by medical personnel, but who don't need, you know, an intensive care unit or something like that. The overall gist of today's morning jolt is that when Americans are given a really big challenge like this, they will respond in very big ways. And I think it's kind of interesting. I think worth noting, um, you know, there's a lot of people who would like to shoehorn every issue that comes down the pike into a pre-existing kind of partisan template. Um, And a lot of people would like to say, aha, well, you know, the Democratic governors are doing fine and the Republican governors are doing badly, but that's not really what we're seeing. I don't think competency follows a partisan line. I think, you know, what we're seeing in Washington state probably should be studied pretty closely for a state that had the first case and uh, you would expect it to be doing pretty badly. It's got a major city up there like Seattle and they are actually, you know, ranking 10th and they see they're not at hospital capacity yet. That's a pretty good sign. Now, some of this is, you know, credited to their social distancing uh, and the rulings from mayors and states to say, hey, we got to shut things down. We got to keep people separated. We got to keep people keeping their distance. Uh, although, to foresh- you know, some people are taking this to ludicrous extremes to foreshadow our third martini. Um, <laughs> but one of the thing, one of the more amusing element uh, explanations I've heard for people saying that Washington State hasn't been hit quite so bad is the fact that people in the Pacific Northwest they're not unfriendly but they're not overly friendly. <laughs> Social distancing may come a little more naturally to them. Uh, for everyone in the Pacific Northwest, we love you. I've always loved the place. But I think it's probably safe to say, kind of like they used to describe people in Maine as being flinty. They're cordial. 
they're just not all over yet and probably not quite as touchy-feely as maybe some other parts of the country. Uh, and maybe that paid off in this situation. We've seen similar results in uh, Northern Europe and Southern Europe. Any place where the cultural tradition is to kiss people on both cheeks, you've seen a rapid e expansion of coronavirus cases. So uh, kind of interesting there. I think Ohio, Mike DeWine, took a lot of steps that a lot of people thought were overreactions or kind of draconian or, or things like that. And by and large, it appears to be working pretty well in that state, or at least in the sense of having just enough capacity to, to you know, handle what they think the influx is going to be. Again, these are estimates. We don't know this. We don't know, you know how many people are going to catch this and you know, have mild enough responses that they don't need a hospital. But uh, overall, a bunch of places in the country, it's looking better than usual. And I realize the morning jolt and my commentary on this podcast have been really grim lately. So America, you wanted some better news. We're heading into the weekend. It's Friday. I checked. It really is Friday. Uh, <laughs> and so here's some good news to send people into the weekend. So Jim, we talked about the Patriots yesterday. Now we've got a field hospital being set up at the Meadowlands. So I don't know if you've got any uh, Jets or I guess Giants uh, jokes in your head. Uh, one that came to my mind, obviously, from your generally self-deprecating way of looking at the Jets is, well, this way you might finally have someone in the end zone. Ah, there you go. My first thought, Greg, was, you know, when you say, by the way, the Giants play in that stadium? I didn't know. I thought it's just, it's, it's MetLife Stadium, otherwise known as JetLife Stadium. Um, <laughs> if it was the old Meadowlands, known, which I call it that, not Giant Stadium, surely no franchise would agree to play in a stadium that was named after another team. Um, but, uh, you know, if they did that, I'd be very careful setting up hospital equipment in one of the end zones because there's always the possibility that Jimmy Hoffa would say, ouch. For those who don't know, there was a rumor that Jimmy Hoffa had been buried in one of the end zones uh, at uh, Giant Stadium, which read one of my all-time favorite Bill Gallo cartoons where he depicted, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was the Jets, maybe it was the Giants, somebody spiking the football and the, the football player freaking out and saying, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody say, ouch. Good on the Jets. I don't know if they had to give permission for that or whoever runs MetLife Stadium, but uh, everyone making sacrifices and stepping up. And so that's, that's definitely good to see. And as we transition to our bad martini today, Jim, it's good that this is happening. And I hope people are packing their patience because this is going to take longer than I think even the most realistic uh, folks among us would have thought. I'm scrolling through social media today, looking for stories, good, bad, and crazy. And I just see that the Mark Seagraves from the NBC affiliate in Washington, Channel 4, is covering this COVID press conference from D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. And all his tweet says is, D.C. peak to come late June, early July. And of course, it was earlier this week where Virginia Governor Ralph Northam has this, I don't know if he calls it shelter in place or stay at home, whatever it is, till June 10th. And you and I were saying terrible optics that is just uh, put it through april and then if you have to extend it by a couple of weeks you'll do that it's, it's going to go over a lot better than telling everybody they got to hunker down for for two months straight uh but now we're seeing that the worst of it might not come till roughly the fourth of july jim which uh probably tells you why events in july and beyond are now being canceled democrats pushing their convention at least till august republican convention was already scheduled for august there's a new poll from USA Today out showing that most people are expecting to have to hunker down for a few months, uh, some at least six months or more. By and large, most are way more concerned about the health issues than the economic issues, and I expect that to get a little narrower as the weeks go on here based on the news we talked about yesterday. You know, the old Snickers commercial, not going anywhere for a while, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, I mean, one stray political thought when you mentioned the, the Democratic Convention being pushed back a month. So when campaigns raise money, 
they can collect donations for two causes. One is for the primary campaign and those for the general campaign. And I believe, is the cap still 2,300? It's, it's something in that range, right? So you, you run a presidential campaign and you spend your money on ads and all the stuff that you do during the primary. Ironically, Joe Biden won a bunch of states where he didn't spend any money on ads because the party had just decided, okay, we're all, you know, we're all going to unify behind him. And he ended up winning states like Minnesota and things like that. Um, but traditionally, you don't get to spend your general election funds until you officially become the nominee. And for a presidential candidate, that doesn't happen until the nominating convention and when the party votes and says, this person is now officially our nominee to be the next president of the United States. So on paper, Joe Biden has to go until August on only his primary funding, uh, not on his general election funding. Now, will this make a huge difference in the election? I don't think so. Um, I, you know, Bill, Donald Trump spent way less than Hillary Clinton did last time around. Um, there have been cycles where the this this phenomenon has worked against nominees. I think 1996 was a particularly big example. Bob Dole was out of money by the time the you know primaries were stopped being competitive, but he still had like you know three months, probably around you know April, May, June, and I think it was either July or July or August when they had the official uh, nominating convention. And during that time, Bill Clinton, who had no real uh, primary challenger during that year, went out and spent a whole bunch of ads painting Bob Dole as a terrible guy, and his poll numbers never recovered. Um, so just one interesting thing to keep in mind about as they push back the convention more and more about, you know, spending access. Although, again, I don't think this will be a, a decisive factor in the election. The other thing to keep in mind here, I, I saw that news about DCP coming in late June, early July. And my first thought is that that can't be right, um, particularly in part because they think so many parts of the country are going to have their peak later this month. I, I don't quite understand why uh, DC would have it, particularly when... Um, Maryland is having a fairly high situation. Larry Hogan is saying that they feel like they're only a few weeks behind New York. Here in Virginia, we're having certainly no shortage of cases. It's not quite catastrophic levels, but uh, they've taken all the steps that they do. I, I understand that, you know, everybody is trying to get in their head, you know, long-term planning and to recognize to people that this is not going to be uh, bing, bang, boom. You know, we, we get through this in a couple of weekends and everything's fine. That having been said, I really wish as many people as possible could say, you know what? We're going to reevaluate what we've decided every two weeks. We're going to see what the numbers look like. We're going to see what hospital capacity looks like. We're going to try to loosen the rules as we can. Because when you tell people that, you know, they've been through this for a significant chunk of March, let's say no later than mid-March, some people a little earlier than that. Well, we're going to go through all of April. We're going to go through all of June. As the weather gets better, I'm sorry, we're going through all of May. As the weather gets better, people are going to start going outside. I, I know they're trying to keep people away from the beaches. I know they're trying to get people to practice social distancing in the parks and things like that. Um, my understanding is that there's no indication the coronavirus can be spread through pools as long as they're using the traditional, you know, chlorine and all the other methods to uh, keep the pools clean and stuff like that. People are going to want to start doing things like that um, as the weather gets nicer. And, uh, you know, people are just going to you know, start going stir crazy to tell people, well, we may not be dealing with this until the peak until June or July, um, I think is really pushing people's patience. And also I'm just thinking about this, the sheer economic scale of all this stuff. So um, more information is better. The only other thing I would point out from this DC press conference that Seagraves covered is that we've now reached the point for social distancing where every single official needs to get a separate um, table. And it's this <laughs> unbelievably long, it's like a banquet table, except like half the, you know, like it looks like two thirds of the people aren't there. So it's, um, I'm sure they're doing this for social distancing. It probably makes sense. It just is, um, looks kind of ridiculous.
You mentioned, as we shift to our crazy martini here, that uh, social distancing uh, is in place. Uh, They're trying to keep people off the beaches now. That's a pretty good policy in general, but sometimes it can be taken to extremes. Uh, Fox News, among others, have this story, but I'm going to be reading verbatim here from the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station, which is based in Southern California. On April 2nd, 2020, Lost Hills Sheriff's station deputies were flagged down by lifeguards regarding a male adult in the water disobeying lifeguard orders to exit the water. The suspect remained in the water paddleboarding for approximately 30 to 40 minutes. A Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department boat was brought in from Marina Del Rey Station. Once the sheriff's boat arrived on scene, the suspect complied and swam to shore. The suspect was arrested for disobeying a lifeguard, and he was transported to Lost Hills Sheriff's Station, where he was booked and released on a promise to appear. Now, it's important to remember, Jim, he was in the ocean by himself. He wasn't sharing a paddleboard. He wasn't next to anyone on a paddleboard. He faces up to six months in jail or a $1,000 fine. I think at that point, I'd probably go for the fine. Jim, that's about as strong of social distancing as you can do, but apparently it's not considered an essential activity, so he's facing the music. I was about to ask, who was he going to infect? The fish? <laughs> Plankton. Right? I like... This would be the classic example of, of, you know, for everything uh, up until now, uh, every time you've seen local lawmakers talk about uh, quarantines and restrictions and curfews, they've generally pointed out, I think my my favorite example was the mayor of Hoboken who said, look, yeah, we got a curfew, but it's not really, you know, you're out walking your dog late at night. The police are going to arrest you. It's if we, you know, it sounds like they were trying to shut down the bars. People were doing the takeout drinks, which by the way, you want to talk about innovations we need to keep after this crisis passes, <laughs> take out mixed drinks. I like that. Come on. We, 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 let's make America great again. But you know, the, I guess the idea is they had people congregating in groups on sidewalks and that's not what you want to see during quarantine. So the idea was to have the police be able to say to these people, Hey, you guys got to get home. And they didn't predict, you know, they weren't expecting to arrest anybody. It was just kind of a, the police having the authority to say, come on, stop congregating. Most of these situations should be resolved by common sense. Arresting one guy on a paddle <laughs> out in the middle of the ocean does not seem to make uh, any sense at all. And it, you know, my fear would be that state, either you know, certain local lawmakers or certain local law enforcement would just find themselves, I don't know if this is out of boredom, I don't know if this is out of some sort of you know, Napoleonic complex or you know, petty desire to exhibit power when they have it. Uh, at, at minimum, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't be able to say, you know, buddy, you're really not supposed to be out here. And if you're out here, fine, but then other people see you, other people want to come out, and then we've got people congregating. You know, I don't quite understand why in these situations more people can't reason with each other, nudge, be gentle about it, be understanding and empathetic about it. I'm sure this guy is out of the water because he's going stir-crazy at home. You know, dear law enforcement, I know you got laws to enforce. I know you want to keep people separate from each other. But um, you're asking the American people to do something that nobody has done within recent memory. And, uh, you know, I, I am struck, Greg, every now and then I think about the shutdown that they did in Boston when they were trying to catch the Boston Marathon bombers, Right, where one city for an entire day was asked to stay in their homes and not leave their homes as the house did a massive house to house search of all kinds of, of places, room to room, even in that case. And people wondered if it was an imposition on, on civil liberties. And most people felt like there certainly was a great deal of complaints about Deval Patrick and the mayor and, and folks like that. This was what you need to do to catch these guys. And they did catch those guys later that evening and everything seemed to turn out okay. Well, now we've got that in in just about every community across the country. And I think 
This is going to be a testing moment, not just for the American citizenry. This is also going to be a testing moment for law enforcement. Yesterday's jolt had a whole bunch of examples from Europe and from Spain and from uh, Africa and, and other places around the world where the police are basically opening fire on people. Um, exhibiting the worst possible judgment you could possibly imagine in this situation. So, dear police, please don't do this. <laughs> please use common sense. Please use gentle nudges. And then hopefully, because the more reasonable the police seem, I, I expect the more reasonable the citizenry will be in response. Jim, I'm in favor of every possible job being preserved at this point. But if no one's allowed in the ocean... Why are there lifeguards there? <laughs> well, if somebody doesn't follow the rules. Well, that, that, it's just go in at your own risk. And I guess risk includes being arrested in, in, in addition to drowning. But uh, I was going to say, is that, a, is that a city job? Is don't that a public know. sector? Well, obviously it's got to stay then. It's essential. What, Greg, you want people to drown? <laughs> I certainly couldn't drag anyone out of the water, but I'm pretty sure I could serve as a lifeguard on a closed beach. But uh, I, I think at least I could stand there and say, hey, don't do that. So you can see us running in slow motion. With, All right. They watch. Well, yeah, don't go in there. Like uh, the old man at the beginning of every horror movie. Yeah, that old place is haunted, they say. Axe murderer ran up. They never caught the guy. Way to go, Lost Hills Sheriff Station. Way to go. Jim, have a good weekend. I know there's not going to be much getting out, but uh, enjoy the time. Rest up, and we'll see you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review with five stars, please. And uh, don't forget, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Do have a great weekend. Stay safe. And we'll be back with you on Monday for the Three Martini Lunch.